Well, hello and welcome to the 182nd episode of the Adoption and Fostering podcast from the ANF Network with me, Al Coates, and his good self. Scott Casson-Rennie, who was going and to introduce himself as something completely different, but can't remember what it was. Oh, anyway, yeah, go on. The Bearded Wonderkind. No, I can't remember. Uh, I, I adoptions had to... answer can I, can to... I, can I cr- uh, can I wait, German there? Wunderkind. Oh, well, Habenzi- we're getting heckled from the from the. From yeah, the he's audio. not even introduced yet. Habenzi- <laughs> um, and and we have with us the exuberant, the the voluptuous, the voluminous <laughs> Bill Watson. Hello, Phil. Hello, everybody. That's an introduction. Come on, what voluptuous? Give us a question and we'll crack on. I, I like voluptuous. I do. I don't get that as often as I used to. Oh, I'm uh, loving this. You can see I was just squirming. It's going to be one of those nights. Gonna go. So I invited <laughs> Phil. Phil came on the podcast a long time ago. I remember because I recorded in a travel lodge in Leeds in lockdown. There you go. That's how I remember it. What were you doing in a travel lodge in Leeds in lockdown? <laughs> Some things I can't tell you, Scott. I was I was just going to say, was that not against the law or something? I don't, I don't know. No, I mean, I was totally, no, Phil and me weren't in the podcast. No, no, I don't together. mean that. I mean, no, we you... weren't together. No, well, no, I get <laughs> that. But I'm saying, what were you doing traveling during lockdown? Was it the proper yeah. lockdown or was it just a kind of half lockdown? I'm intrigued. Right. I'm still traumatized by lockdowns. If you want to know, I was doing my NVR advanced practitioner training in Leeds. And I was, it was all, oh, we were face to face in person. What is this? It was this huge room and there was 12 people and there was like 18 foot between each people. <laughs> oh, so it was like a, it was, it was like a meeting times, of the yeah. Illuminati because it was like yeah. all tables, chairs around. <laughs> and then there was like, had to be a set distance between us. And we all sat there with uh, Peter Jacobs at the end, like saying wise things and us all going, mm, mm. so it was anyway, in the oh. evening I did Peter. Anyway, sorry, no, Peter, Phil. You, you what? Phil. Hello, Phil. Let's try and Hello. keep this on track. Yeah, you you two are incorrigible. There's another way. Oh, oh dear me! Well, Phil, introduce yourself for us. I, I have ways of introducing uh, you, but I'm not doing very well so far. Yeah. Hello, everybody. My name is Phil Watson. I'm talking to you from near Penny Lane, world famous Penny Lane in Liverpool. Although I'm not originally Scouse, I'm from a place called London. I came up as a economic refugee in 1989, and I've never moved. I'm married and uh, to my wife, Helena, and we have two birth kids who are now 19 and 22. And in 2011, we started fostering for our council. We ended up adopting one of our foster kids. That's a wonderful story that I might end up telling again because I love it. Um, and for the last eight, nine years, I have promoted fostering, trying to find foster carers for Liverpool City Council. And I do a little bit of work with some adoption agencies and some other fostering councils and agencies um, chipping in about how you can foster, how you can adopt, how you can make foster and adoption work um, as best as possible for everyone. And I am also a German teacher, which is why I will correct any of your German <laughs> that is incorrect, which is why you never want to say Wunderkind because it's a... Anyway, never mind. You should hear his never French. Mind no, out. actually, you shouldn't hear his French. Yeah, I'm a French, French teacher as well. So, yeah. 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 So if you want to talk can, in French, very hard to explain adoption in French, uh, fostering in French. The concept does not exist. Anyway, well, let's move you, on. The, Go on, ask the best, the the best conversation I've ever had online with Al was when I started to speak French in a tweet. And he was just like, I just, I have no clue what you're saying. Now, I had. I, I, <laughs> 
I, I, I did French at school and I got quite great results, but obviously that was like 50 odd years ago. So it's mm -hmm. very rusty now, but I, I do sometimes now and again, just try to bamboozle them with French. So that's good to know. I'm glad, I'm glad I've got a, a bit well, of a... I am partial to a little bit of German, if I'm honest with you. I mean, I, I'm not yes, great you, at it, Yep. but I do, I do. No, you pro, you've, you've shown me that. <laughs> I really enjoyed German at school, and I did. So I, we, if you were in the clever set, you had to do German and French, and I really enjoyed yeah. German to a point, and then it just became incredibly complicated. It was like fine, and then it wasn't fine, and that's somebody introduced you to adjectival endings, didn't they? Adjectival endings and different words for the, and that just that's where you need to call it. Very yeah. difficult beyond that. You made a right choice, Al, to become a social worker. Well done. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Well, I'm, uh, yeah. And so this a few is just, hurdles before that. Really. This is like, there's well, a few hurdles before that. This is like herding sheep. So I, I'll tell you why we've invited Phil. Because um, if you can, follow Phil on Facebook or Twitter, because he is, you are just hilarious. You are just constantly... Thank you very much. I laugh and laugh and laugh, mainly in terms of your how you account of your relationship with your wife and how you met her and how you're doing her a favour by marrying her. Um, it's all very tongue in cheek. Um, but I you are say, it's tongue in cheek. <laughs> it's, it's very tongue in cheek. Um, but you are relentless in your enthusiasm for fostering, and I thought that is really. Yeah. It's infectious, your enthusiasm. And I just thought it would be wonderful to get you on and kind of talk through your kind of your experience of recruitment. Because I think it's, we're at a point of, uh, would, is it overstating it saying it's a national crisis? Is that? It, it's, we, we lurch from uh, crisis to crisis to it's never been this bad. And I think at the moment, I mean, I'm not a mathematician, but the number of kids going into care has gone up and up. Um, the numbers I know, when I first started promoting fostering or recruiting carers for Liverpool, I was handing out merchandise like bookmarks and little cards saying, Liverpool has 900 children in care. And that was in 2015-16. And we're now up to, Liverpool now has 1,500 kids in care. So it's not quite doubled, but it's gone up massively. And it's not just Liverpool, that's across the country. And we could talk about it later, but there are certain parts of the country where the numbers of kids in care has gone up far greater than others. So, shall I do some numbers? And these are in my head. That's how sad I am. Basically, if you are in a poor urban area in the north of England, the chances are you'll have far more children in care in that area than anywhere else. So Blackpool has yeah. the most children in care. And the reasons for this, two reasons for this, is I think they've got 190 per 10,000 kids. Liverpool's at 160. And if you're listening from somewhere nice, like the lowest is Kingston-upon-Thames with 30 kids per 10,000 in care. So it's far less, far fewer. Um, and the reason is poor areas have more kids in care. And also yeah. rich, rich areas are basically exporting their children to poor areas because housing is cheaper. So if you are from a, a, a leafier, posher part of Surrey, you don't have as many kids in care, and the ones you do have, you find a way of, through agencies, through private fostering agencies, moving those children to areas where housing is cheaper. So if you know Blackpool at all, it used to be famous for going on holiday and bed and breakfast and hotels, rows and rows of streets off the strip at the front, and a lot of those houses have now got children in care living in them. Um, I'm a God, I've got a bit of a thing about private fostering agencies, the profit-making ones. I don't think they're generally good for children. 
Um, that's getting all a bit deep and meaningful straight away. But the number of kids in care is going up. The number of mainstream foster carers is not going up. And in fact, it's shrinking slightly. And I don't think this is good. Was that the answer to the question? What was the question? Yeah, it was, I'm not sure really, but it's quite a good one. I like it. I was just, I was just thinking. Considering you're not originally from Liverpool, you do have quite. You've got a bit of a twang going on there, so that's why I was yeah, thinking. Well, yeah, nothing else. Come, I was come to Liverpool to and it isn't. A, yeah, come to Liverpool and you realise it isn't. A, it isn't very strong at all. My accent. <laughs> oh no, I, I, I have, I have friends who are from Liverpool. Yes, you know I that. Do. Yeah, I do know. Yeah. Oh yes. Um. So is it? Um. Because, you know, we've had we've had other organizations and foster care agencies and all that sort of stuff on before so is is has there been a really big decrease in the number of people fostering and a really massive increase in the children in care or is it just that there's more children in care less foster cares I, I, I think the i think the number of kids in care is going up very high it's going up very quickly that curve would be steep the number of children in mainstream foster care or the number of mainstream foster carers so that's people like us we foster children with whom we have no contact, no link at all. Um, that number has gone down. Now, I'd like, I'd be venturing to know, because the number of kids in kinship, I always call them kids, I hope everyone's okay with that. Kinship care, so family and friends, that number's gone up. And I can't help thinking that that's probably a good idea, because my understanding is a child with some sort of, uh, living with some sort of birth family, so auntie, nan, yeah. uncle, granddad, or a friend, a family friend, has got to be a better deal than suddenly arriving at Phil Watson's house to whom we are complete strangers. So the number of children in family and friends used to be called kinship care, didn't it? We call it family and friends now. That's gone up. And I think that there's quite a few charities that are promoting that and talking about their own situation and why there should be more support for kinship care. Because it's, putting it bluntly, I'm not a kinship carer but it's a much more emotionally complicated situation. Yeah. Um, how much, if you are, if you are legally looking after your grandchild and you have social worker involvement, part of you must be thinking, and I've been on panels and everyone else listening has been on panels where you have kinship carers, foster family friends, carers coming along and you'll have to be approved by these professionals, these social workers to look after your own grandchild. That's got a sense of, it can be quite patronising, can't it, I think. Um, at the same time, you'll then get financial support, you might get therapy support, other forms of support, which is wonderful. And if we're going to have that, then you need to be, there needs to be a degree of legislation and a degree of organisation. So it's a very emotional topic. And it's very hard to go, this is the best thing for each child, because, of course, I think there's 82,000 kids in care. I always, yeah. every time Liverpool, and I'm not a Liverpool fan, but every time anyone plays in a final in Wembley, I think all the kids in care would fill that stadium mm -hmm. and some of them would still have to sit in the stairwells. And you're thinking, that is a big number of kids. And each one of them's got their own story. Each one of them's got their own hopes and dreams. And all the statistics say your life is not going to be as good as it would be if you weren't in care. I mean, I know there's lots of wonderful exceptions. You see Samantha Morton. When she got her BAFTA the other day, yeah, and I was like, "Yeah, brilliant, yeah. absolutely brilliant." I'm going. Unfortunately, you are the absolute exception, and that's heartbreaking. 
Yeah. Uh, Phil, can I ask you what your school reports were like? Because you are like just... <laughs> Talks too much start, in class, I would say. We started at one point and you kind of you just all the way through, I'm going, oh, that's a good question. Oh, that's a good question. That's a good question. What, what are your school reports like? Uh, well, probably he talks too much and he doesn't keep to the point. Um, which is interesting because because as we've established, I'm quite I'm a lang I'm a language teacher, German and French. So if you remember, every now and again, you used to do a speaking exam, and yeah, those were the bits yeah. I liked the most because basically, you most people were terrified of them, and I was like, chuck me in, ask me the first question in German, and the, and after ten minutes, there's no oxygen left in the room. The teachers go, just shut up, as they're trying to press pause. Make him stop. Make him stop. Make him stop. Yeah. So it is, yeah. And I would love to be in your, and fly on the wall in your annual appraisal. Um, (laughs) If you have such a thing. (laughs) They don't don't want me anymore. I'm banned. (laughs) Um, So there's lots of things I wanted to unpick there that you said. Um, In terms of kinship care, uh, going right the way back, you sort of talked about... um, the dwindling stock of foster carers. So I'll ask a few questions. Yeah. You can answer them in whatever order you want. Um, you talked about this dwindling stock of foster carers in local authorities versus, a, maybe, a, I think, at least a static stock of in IFAs, independent foster care agencies. Do you think yeah, that I that think, then reflects... Hang on, hang on. Yeah. No, don't start. <laughs> right. Okay. Um, sorry. <laughs> this is crazy. Um so do you think that's a reflection then on the quality of support families are getting, foster carers are getting from local authorities? Don't, don't hold that one, hold that thought, right? Okay. Mm. The second thing is in terms of kinship, do you also think that kin- the, the rising in kinship, one of the criticisms is that it's a cheaper option. And we had um, Dr. Paul Shuttleworth on the end of, uh, middle of last year yeah. talking about, we, there's this natural presumption that kinship is right. It's like a kind of default position. We all go, well, that makes perfect sense. He said, but mm, question mark, is it? And so do you think it's just a, it's a really convenient way of going, yeah, this this works. So there's two two questions, three questions, but probably you're going to say what you want anyway. Yeah. Um, what was the first <laughs> question again? Uh, something, stock, uh, I fostering think, stock. Yeah, I, I, I think I think there's a, there's a I don't know, I don't know about any data and I'm not very good at data generally. I try and read it. I, I have a gut feeling and read read government reports and go, I thought that was going to be the case. I think, generally speaking, when you foster for your council, I think that that is um, a very good moral choice because there's no profit involved at all. And it's the councils that remove, well, the council social workers with the legal system that will remove children, that will have the children in their care. When they can't find a mainstream foster care of their own, then they go to an agency, generally speaking. Um, like most people, well, we've only ever worked for a council and I'm very proud and pleased to work for our council. However, I know plenty of foster carers that I'm involved in recruiting that move to agencies. And one of the reasons they move to agencies is, well, people think it's the pay, but actually more often they go, if we take these children to an agency, we will get better support for them. We will get therapy more quickly. We will have mental health support more quickly. And I cannot understand how we've created a system where that's the case. But I totally understand that. And if somebody said to me, well, you've said to anyone, you can do exactly the same job because you'll be looking after the same kids and you will get paid more and those children will get more support and therefore you will get more support. Why wouldn't you do it? And I do work for council. I think it's very, very good. And I think I work for council with very good support, great social workers. But at the same time, 
I I just like people who foster people who are involved in this world of ours. And I just think, you know what, if, if you work for an agency and it's working for those children, brilliant, 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 brilliant. Your Good second answer. question was something about, I don't know, <laughs> mainstream uh, for, uh, kinship care. Well, I don't know as much about that, but one thing I've noticed is people like us who are mainstream foster carers, we are differently motivated. We seek out that we want to foster. We'll go to some event online or we'll go and Google and then we'll go to some kind of drop-in event that I run or an information event and we are, we're motivated by wanting to care. I think it's generally true that kinship carers fall into it. So they discover that a child in their broader family, their wider family can't be looked after by a child. And so they feel perhaps obliged. And I don't want to speak for kinship carers because I'm not one, but they end up doing it just because there's a child and they feel they should. And I kind of feel that there is a moral imperative there. Sometimes I've met kinship carers that have then gone on to foster as mainstream actually, which is interesting. But I do agree with you that I think there is an assumption that kinship is best, and quite often it's a correct assumption. However, sometimes I think it's motivated by money because it's cheaper. And mm. then what's fascinating is when you see kinship carers who are nudged towards going to an SGO, a special guardianship order, and I'm yeah. thinking, is that because you want to save money? Is that as a council or an agency? Or is that because you think it's best for the child and it's a really difficult decision to make? So we adopted one of our foster kids. Um, and for, you could argue that that was a ridiculously stupid thing to do because you get far less support. At the same time, it's great because you don't have social workers coming around to your house hmm. to visit you when you've got an adopted child. So to cut a very long story short, one of our foster kids was being extremely quiet. They had a very long, long, long journey with us. I'll just say that because I don't want to talk too much about him personally, but he, he doesn't mind me telling this story because he loves it. One day he's been very quiet. He's about eight years of age. And um, I went into the lounge and to find out what he was doing, because that's what you're meant to do when you're a mainstream foster carer. And he pulled the frame off a family photo and he punched out the, the glass and he got hold of a felt tip, a Sharpie pen. And it was a photo of me and my wife and our birth children. You know, the sort of photo you get when they start school. So it was all done professionally. And he added himself. There's a little smiley face with little arms. And he added himself to that photo. And we had a little chat. And I'm not a psychologist, but it was fairly obvious that this was a little kid who wanted to join our family. And he wanted to see. He saw that family photo and he wanted to join. So he and he... Yeah, I'll say this. He'd been adopted before and it had broken down. So he knew what adoption was. He knew what it meant. He'd been to the court before. He'd been through it before. And it didn't work for various reasons. So him saying, more or less, I would like to be adopted by you was a very brave thing. And also, yeah. it was an informed decision. It wasn't yeah. informed by watching Disney films. So we decided to adopt him because he asked us to. We were very much aware that as adopters, you're on your own. Yeah. And you and I think that's where quite a lot of adopters struggle is because you know, I know, you know, I don't know whether you and Scott have got a, a, an experience on this. You sometimes get, as I work with some adopters, heterosexual couple can't have children, try IVF, that doesn't work, that doesn't work, and then they go and apply it to an adoption agency or their council. And then a social worker comes around and starts poking through their lives and starts wanting to know who they are, whatever. And by the time they get approved to adopt, 
their journey of infertility through to adoption is several years long. And then a child arrives and it's almost like the expectation is enormous, which is lovely, but sometimes they are, I don't think we necessarily prepare people very well to be adopters because sometimes the children that there's a sort of myth, isn't there? Oh, if you get them young enough, they'll never remember. And every adopter and every foster carer will say to you very quickly, just because they don't remember doesn't mean their body doesn't remember. I mean, yeah, the, yeah. the trauma in utero, I mean, I spend my life, I train teachers as well, going and saying, don't, do not think because this baby was removed at birth that there will not be some trauma inside their brain and their body. Um, so I okay. wonder whether, God, interrupt me, God, try again. <clears throat> no, I'm going to interrupt you. you because you've strayed too far from the original question. <laughs> so um, it's not, it's, it's, it's fantastic it's what you're saying. Be. It's got He's a lot got, to say. A man with a lot to say. I remember the last time we interviewed you, I had to stop you halfway through and go. I just... wasn't there. You say we. I wasn't there. It, it was part of the adoptive conversation. So it's, oh, it's way yeah. back here. So, yeah, I'll put I a link to it so life. you can tell the story. I don't do such menial tasks. <laughs> he's, he's, he's got a man who does that sort of thing yeah. for him. <laughs> yeah, you. <laughs> um, Scott, you were going to ask a question, weren't you? I think it's your, we've got a little list of questions we run through. So, Scott. We, we have. And, and I think that, um, it's 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 all to do with this, this recruitment thing because I think that you know you, you've explained what you do for the council and stuff like that and you know I in my younger day I used to spend a lot of time in Liverpool and I know that Liverpool is a, a city that what were kind you of, doing in Liverpool I'm not telling you because then that would ah. be that that was a previous life that was a previous life um, right fair enough <laughs> I spent I was, a week in Liverpool once I was nineteen. So many years ago, Al. Come on. Oh. Anyway, um, you're d- distracting me. Don't distract me. You know what I'm like. If I lose I my think, train of thought, I think we're going to have to name this the di- the distracted wandering issue. Yeah, absolutely. episode. Um, but anyway, so knowing Liverpool and how much it's re regenerated. It's, I, I yeah, mean, yeah, it a lot of it has. You know, yeah. a, a lot of the city is now. You know, it's it's been regenerated. You know, there's. A, but do you feel that there's that kind of in Liverpool specifically, because that's where you kind of try and recruit and stuff like that. Do you feel there's like a a real understanding of what it is to foster? And and if that's the case, then you know why I don't I don't want to make this sound like I'm dissing what you do, but you know why 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 are you still struggling to find foster carers? Um, well, we are struggling, but then so is everywhere else. So we mm. we find about 20 a year, something like that. 20, 30, it can be as many as that, can be a few fewer. And if you look across nationally, that's a very healthy number. Um, why do we struggle? Why does everybody struggle? I think because it's but, really sorry, difficult. But in the terms of cool. you having, sorry, I'm going to say, in the terms of you needing 1,500 children in care, 20 years. Nothing. Are you, are you even standing yeah. still? No. Are you, yeah. No, no. Um, and... I guess one of the, I mean, I don't want to say the finances are interesting. To find one foster carer, if that means you don't go to an agency or that means you don't put a child in residential care, because those things are so expensive. People may have heard the numbers of five, six, ten grand a week to keep a kid in care. Well, I don't earn very much money, but I love what I do. So I just know that every time one child has a place to live that's in mainstream foster care, I am paying for myself. Um, And I think it's a really good question. Why why don't people foster? And there are various reasons for it. <laughs> if you wanted to do, if you wanted to do 
uh, a Myers-Briggs analysis because a few have been done of foster carers. So basically, what's the psychology of a foster carer? One of them is we're highly relational, so we like people. You like kids, but also you don't mind social workers coming around all the time. Number two is you're very, very flexible. So little example, you know, a child can arrive, has arrived at our house at 3.30 and we have not known anything about them. And we've gone, well, we know that they're safe in our house. We know we'll find them food and we'll find them clothes that they want and we'll keep them safe and we'll hopefully, hopefully convince them that they are safe. And all the other questions about what about school, what about family, what this, we're flexible enough to go, we will deal with that later. It's quite an unusual character trait to have because most people like a degree of organisation in their life. And the third thing is foster carers tend to have uh, an, a streak of justice. People think we're all lovely and cuddly, but if you cross a foster carer with regard to the care of their child, you often get this ferociousness there's somebody laughing on this. Scott, is that you? I just described you. I'm, like, I'm, like, I'm very easygoing until you annoy, until you cross one of the children that I'm caring for. And I, and I, and I just think the, the, it's just not fair. It's a matter of justice. That kid in care, no fault of their own, never the child's fault when they go into care. And you go, I will fight for you. you the kid can drive me mad, but I will still yeah. fight yeah. for them, fight for their rights, for what they're entitled to, because they are just a small child with very little voice of their own. And when they do deign to use their voice, people say, well, it's not very convenient the way they're you know, expressing themselves because it tends to be through a degree of anger. And I always think, if, if what had happened to that kid had happened to you, you'd be angry. Why are you surprised? Yeah. Um, so it, it's, it's a good question. It's difficult to find foster carers. It's not paid terribly well. People think you're lovely for doing it and you're a saint. But it's still not necessarily regarded as a certainly not regarded as a professional role, I don't think. And it doesn't pay as a professional role. And it's not kept up with things like the cost of living um, and the increases in you know, gas electricity. You tend to have your kids at home more and things like that are expensive. And so I don't think it's very well paid. And I think if you do Google, you get an awful lot of stories in newspapers about foster kids doing terrible things and children in care doing terrible things. Um, and I don't think that necessarily helps. Um, yeah, I could I could go on about that some more. Um, if anyone can ring in and tell me how to find more foster carers, I'd be grateful because no one I know has got the solution to that. Yeah, but yeah. I think you've hit, hit the nail on the head there with in terms of advocacy for these kids. And the reason mm. I was laughing was because I remember, like, before I – an actual fact, it was the very last thing I did in the UK before – Brexit happened. And I mean, literally the day before I did the training session in Wales and then I was getting the ferry back to Ireland. And I, I remember it so vividly. But anyway, the reason I was laughing was because it was training for foster carers for a county council in Wales. And what struck me, and I, you know, I've spoken to foster carers who've adopted, I've spoken to foster carers, blah, blah, blah. And it's always struck me that foster carers are fighty. They're very fighty. Um, mm. and, and I don't mean that in a negative sense. I just mean that, you know, that, that like any when I was a foster care, I used to have to go on the train and, you know, the agency provided and all that sort of stuff. And it, it always struck me how just, <laughs> not necessarily angry, but just how fighty foster care as well. Because they just wanted the best. Yeah, yeah. they just wanted the best for the, ch the children that they were looking after because they really believed in the, the kind of, you know, and the outcomes for these children, I guess. Yeah. And, 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 Maybe that's one of the things that's missing from, you know, the 
not necessarily from the people that are coming forward, because obviously the people that are coming forward are coming forward, but maybe it takes a specific kind of person to come forward to be a foster care. You know, mm. my husband, Tristan, bless him, always on about us fostering again. I'm like, I, I just couldn't. Really? I, I, yeah, I can't. I just can't. I, I'm I'm just I'm still wrecked from the last time, to be honest with you. And that was 2014. You're, you're dashed upon the rocks. Fostering. Yeah, but he's constantly on about it because he is, a, you know, I, I'm not saying that I don't advocate for my kids, but he's a he's yeah. a fighty one. He, he would be the one that, would, oh, you know, he'd be happens, in. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, so I, I think it does. It's just, yeah, it does need that a certain type of person maybe you know there needs to be some psychology behind recruitment of foster care yeah. you well, know, we say you, are you this yeah. person yeah it's it's almost like i try and target if i do at all are you already working in a caring profession so are you already working in the charities charitable sector the nhs teaching something like that there's more of a chance that you're like that you're going to be involved in caring for other people and financial remuneration is not your primary yeah. goal. Yeah, um, but I think it's also interesting to, to think about retention, retaining foster carers, mm -hmm. and why do you leave? Now, quite often, uh, in my experience, councils and agencies are so busy managing the problems that they've got of children and budgets, they don't actually have time or the resources, you know, the person to say, right, you're leaving. Can you tell us why you're leaving? Or, and yeah. are you leaving fostering? Or are you going into another agency? So, for example, because of what the work that I do, the uh, what's it called, the um, uh, the algorithm. I was about to say amygdala. That's another issue, isn't it? The algorithm. That's a different podcast. Yeah, the algorithm on my social media is forever sending me adverts to foster from mm. agencies. So I got one the other day for fifty-two grand a year. Foster this kid. I've even had one, the best one or the most financial, one hundred and fifty thousand pounds a year to look after a young person who was on a deprivation of liberty. And I thought, a doll, do I want Do I want to turn my house basically into a, a single occupancy prison? Because that's what it seems to be asking. So I think there's this money that's thrown around and it's important that foster carers are paid. But this is where the rumours come that foster care is incredibly well paid, um, which is sometimes go, I, I don't know where that comes from. It's not true. And if you do... Uh, if you are being paid £52,000 by an agency, I wonder how much they're charging the council. But I also would imagine there is no way you could have any other kind of job or life if you were being paid that sort of amount. So retention is interesting with regard to money and being lured to other agencies, shall we say. But I wonder as well is how many people uh, who foster get burnt out. They uh, are... Um, there are allegations about what they do, and they're often mm. they have to be explored. Of course, they do, but you know it's very stressful. And if they're unfounded, which is often the case, you go, I don't care. I'm not doing this again. I'm going to do something else, something where I can literally come home, shut my front door, and the world doesn't come in. And that's the peculiarity of fostering, isn't it? Mm. Is that you know working from home? Yeah. Foster carers have been working from home forever. It never, ever ends. And again, there's another issue about I mean, I don't really know whether, whether what the terminology should be, but you're thinking some foster carers goes, I could just, I just need a weekend or a day or an hour or whatever it is. And, you know, we call it respite, which is a horrible phrase, really, mm -hmm. for a child. Well, um, yeah, I know we're committed to you and we like you and we love you and we're going to advocate for you, but we need a weekend off from you. Although, actually, you would send that to your 
birth kids. So it's almost like, let's not, but I wouldn't say to my birth kids, we need respite, you're going to grandma's, yeah. but you go, you need to find a way. So our, oh, one of our, yeah, one of our kids, he, he basically went to family as a sleepover and friends as a sleepover. And he went, yeah. this is brilliant because this is, this is what our birth kids did. And it, yeah. and we just got it with him because he's been with us such a long time and he feels yeah. very comfortable with granddad and with grandma. Um, but it's, it is an interesting question. Why is it so hard to recruit and why is it so hard to retain foster carers? Um, and how well do we treat them? And I think Scott, you've really hit a nail on the head there, which is advocacy. And I think quite often foster carers are poorly treated by professionals. Yeah. And I've got a, you know, Chuckman, you know, I'm a teacher, I'm a secondary school teacher and a school in Liverpool. I'm not academically intimidated by social workers. My wife is a lawyer. So she really isn't <laughs> she isn't intimidated by anyone. And and so and so especially not me. So so sometimes when we've when we've gone into the odd meeting, I don't know, whatever it would be, you know, what do we do with the pupil progress money? What are we doing about here? And I'm thinking, and I'll go in and I'm quite as as you gathered, I'm quite chatty, interactive. I'm going, oh, you know, I will talk you into submission. But my wife will go, <laughs> point of order, you've just broken the law and I've recorded you doing it. Uh, and, and so it's, it's we, we want fostering, foster care is a very, very skilled role. Mm-hmm. Not just looking after children, but understanding how education systems work, yeah. understanding how the NHS works. How do I get my child as high up the CAMS list as possible? There's an awful lot of advocacy. It is not a lay person's role. Mm-hmm. It might have been considered that once, but we talk about it becoming professional. And you go, then you need to pay people, and also yeah. you need to you yeah. need to listen to them because nobody feels more disheartened than. We know that you, you know, we know that you know this child better than anyone, but fundamentally we're not going to listen to what you say because we think we know better. And maybe you need, you do know better, but you need to at least say, give us your input. Scott, you may now, no, not you, Scott, Al, you may now talk. Yes. This <laughs> yeah. is like, yeah, I can cope with 30 year nines. You two are easy. Thank you, Shun. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Haben Sie eins immer frei? No. Um, do, do you? Um, I, it's really interesting you say that because I, when I qualified uh, just over 10 years ago, uh, my first job was as a supervising social worker, which is the role supporting foster carers. Yeah. And I, I worked for a small independent foster care agency that was a charity. It come out of Catholic Care. And yeah. they really kind of helped me understand that forgetting the money, because they were not money oriented at all. It was all about the quality of care for children. And they were really sort of in, invested in the notion that, that the biggest asset we have are our foster carers. Now, you could say, well, that's from a, from, a, from a financial point of view, people will maybe see them as a cash cow. But I think that they didn't. They saw them very much as if we don't have foster carers, we don't have anything. And yeah. it was instilled in me as a, as a social worker was your job is to advocate for your foster carers. That if there's a fight to be had, you go and you talk to your foster carers and you go and have it for them. That you protect yeah. them from stupid emails and nonsense professionals. Your job is to stand as a barrier between them and the rest of the world. And you're like a, like a snowplow. You clear the way before them so that they they can concentrate on looking after children and I, I just reflect on 
then having worked with travel agencies, some of which got me got me sacked from. But well, that's too soon, too soon. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, that's another story. And um, that that isn't always the case. That sometimes no. That in local authorities, that foster carers are just seen as part of the workforce. Yeah, and. Uh, so that was maybe a comment, not a question. But my question to you is then, how did you get into the job of becoming the foster kid? Like you said, you've worked for all these years as a, worked doing recruitment for Liverpool. Well, uh, yeah, um, it, it's it's simple, isn't it? And to some extent, is no no council and no agency knows how has solved the problem. No one has got so many foster carers that they can easily match the right child with the right home, yeah. shall we say. So... Um, one solution that uh, the uh, uh, head of children's services came up with, who did vaguely know me, um, was we need to um, find a foster carer to talk about what the role really involves. Um, and I applied because I was a bit sick of teaching and I wanted to become more involved in promoting fostering because I just think it's it's important. It's as simple mm-hmm. as that. And I have, again, it's that sense of, it's a sense of justice and a sense of identity. I want to do something that I think is worthwhile, and I think it is worthwhile what I do. It's got intrinsic value. So I applied. Some other people applied, and I got the job. Um, and I, I got to say, I think it's. I know quite a lot of councils and agencies do use foster carers on an ad hoc basis. I'm relatively unusual in as much as they pay me. I'm half. I'm seventy hours a month, something like that they pay me to promote fostering and i'm very clear at the beginning i don't want to you must not pay a foster care recruiter on anything other than a sort of wage do not pay them on results because you do not want to convince people to foster when they shouldn't foster you know are you on the clock to... now no yeah well i might do i did depends how this goes <laughs> um I might. it depends if i depends if i slag off my council no i love i love working for them and i think all the things you said i've are my experience being with with our council is very very positive um but um it, it means when we when there's an event and they go phil you have you got anything to say and the answer is always <laughs> oh yeah you try stopping me yeah. but i will French always or english <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, will, <laughs> I will always say this is the, this is a good thing that has happened and look at this really bad thing it was really challenging but we've solved it or we are solving it and occasionally i'll have somebody who maybe works in marketing or works in finance going, do you think some of your negative stories put people off? So one on one occasion, I was in a very fancy place in Liverpool and we would I basically, I rolled up my sleeves at the beginning. There's about 120 people there. Some foster carers, some wanting to foster, some social workers, a lot. I rolled up my sleeves and went, we're going so well with our kid that we're looking after. I've not got a bite mark or a scratch mark on my arms. That's how calm he is. And every foster carer in the room nodded and went, nice one, lad, as you would in Liverpool. And then somebody said, do you think that would put people off? And I went, we we would, we would need to put those people off. Because yeah. if you decide you want to foster because you've got some sort of saviour complex, although I have, but and you want to, you want, you and you want to get an MBE for, for, for um, you know, easy. This, Somebody's, yeah, anyone can get one of them. You know, you foster. Uh, no, apparently not. I'm going to run there. Um, but it, 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 if you foster 200 kids, I'm going brilliant to you, brilliant. But actually, what you need is that sense of justice that means I will stick, you know, unless it gets absolutely impossible and too dangerous, 
I will stick with this kid and I will do what Sally Donovan's book, whatever it takes. I will stick with this, whatever it takes, which just like you said, Scott, and I think you use the word fighty and then you use our bolshie and you get, I think there's a, there's a, yeah, what scouse word? It's maybe it's a common word, narky. I'm just like Aggie. I'm like, I will keep going. I am dog with a bone. And I think, I thought I was a really easygoing, casual person. And I'm about some things. But when it comes to justice, just not. And um, I have not yet got bored about talking to people about fostering. Um, and I years before as a teacher, I was an export sales manager. And I used to sell, fi- yeah, I know. I used to sell filing, <laughs> graphic arts filing, office filing. And it was like, I loved the talking, but I wasn't interested in the product. And now what I do is I promote, if you like, a lifestyle that I fully, I think is remarkable. I think it's great for children who get good quality foster families. And a lot of the families that I talk to, and I want to say family, I mean, in the loosest sense, you know, single, married, gay, straight, don't care. Um, I do talk to people that I thought years ago, wow, you're, you're young, you're in your 20s, you're professional and you want to foster. Brilliant, why not? you're a single person why not brilliant these families any of them can foster and i think that's wonderful and i really enjoy promoting that lifestyle but i don't want people to engage in it and maybe this is the problem with recruitment i do not want you to engage in the fostering process unless you really understand it which is why i think it's good that somebody who lives the life does it yeah um and and not marketeers that we work with that i work with are brilliant they're really good and social workers are brilliant but at the end of the day it's two in the morning i've had a kid in my face telling me to f off and that i'm not his dad um and they haven't and so i can say this this is what happened and this is what we did to calm that child and to sort of try and dissipate that fear i'm a firm believer that anger is always fear fear dressed up as anger um and so that's how i got involved in it and and this is a little bit sad as well. I do work with some of the same people that I started with. I don't think it's because of me, but the turnover of social workers is enormous. Mm. It's not good for anybody. It's not good for kids. But actually the turnover of even very high up people in councils, uh, head of children's services, they, they tend to rotate in my experience. And a lot of the ones I work with, they've been brilliant. And I'm thinking, I hope you're going to stay and then for whatever reason, they, they move on or they move sideways. And I'm like, okay, we've all got to now reestablish our relationships, get a very relational person. And um, it's it re- retention is, a, is it, among social workers is probably as, as tricky as a problem to solve as it is amongst foster carers. I think, sorry, Scott, if, if you've got a question, because I've got a question. No. Right, no, no, I forgot what my question was, because you got because teacher said, so, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was going to say, I, I, I'm a supervising social worker, and now I've got supervising social workers who I'm responsible yeah. for. Do you want to bring an apple to the table as well? Give it to oh, teacher, sure. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and, but one of the things that I think is re- that social work really struggles with fostering. Because I think that the, if you say to a fostering, like if you say to a children and family social worker, who is your service user, right? So we'll use that language. They would go, yeah. the child. If yeah. you go to an adult, they'll go, the adult. And if they go to mm. a fostering social worker, who's your who's your service yeah. user? And th- they will go, uh, um, 
child. No, no, it's not child. It's the foster care. It's the, and the relationship with the, between a source supervising social worker and a foster care, I think, is a really delicate balance because actually mm. we need to be friends. Yep. But 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 we're not friends. I sometimes need to pick you up off the floor and give you a, a like a metaphorical cuddle. Yeah. I, I sometimes need to come around and go. You need to try harder. And yep. I, and that is a real, there's a real nuance. And I might know if I stay with the same agency for, you know, I've been a, yeah, one agency for 10 years. I've known these people for 11 years. Yeah. We're not, and we're, we are friends. You know, we're genuine yeah. friends, but I'm still your social worker. And so the, yeah. that is a real, it's, it's, I think it's one of the most complicated roles. And I've had social workers come in who've like said, oh, yeah, I can do that. I've not done it. But, and then they kind of, after three months, they're going, so who, who, who am I again? Who are these people? And it just, it's just really complicated dynamic, isn't it? I, I think um, as a foster carer, one of, and it maybe it reflects me and my wife, is like, we we are very nice, friendly people. We won't be pushed around. But I always thought when we've had social workers come into our house, I thought, I wonder what kind of day they've had. And I want them to have a good experience experience of visiting us if that doesn't sound too patronizing so come to our house we know that you drink your tea with one sugar and we know you like hobnobs i'm gonna get hobnobs in and and you, know, you want to be you want to be our social worker now don't you but it, it's sort of like no actually i i want this relationship to work and again it's it's quite machiavellian if i can now move into spanish and portuguese but it's like <laughs> i i want i want my hell? I want the relationship with the social worker to work well. So I will find a way generally of going, right. I know that you are in a position of authority here. Your title is authoritative, but at the same time, relationally, we can be equal. And if that means I say, I hope your day's been okay. Cause I, I would struggle as a social worker. I would find it very difficult to manage all those different relationships. Um, and I guess I see myself as trying to help, the social worker, if that doesn't sound a little bit patronising, maybe because I'm getting yeah. older. Um, but I do think you're right. It's a nuanced relationship. And I'm I'm going to bounce around even more. Like when I've been on panels, when I've gone to panel as a punter, uh, you know, as a foster care or an adopter, you, you feel the power. And they always go, the chair always says, don't be nervous. And I'm like, I'm not easily intimidated by people. I'm going, ooh, but there are 10 people looking at me. So it's a little bit nerve-wracking. And then, and there aren't many people, I don't know if you've done both sides, then you're on the other side of the panel and you go, you have no idea, panellists, what it's like over that side because however nice you come yeah. across, however much you smile, there are lots of eyes on you and you are only one set of eyes and you're trying to deal with that. And I do think that maybe typifies however nice we try and be, that typifies the relationship of there's a lot of professionals and there's only you. And there are sometimes, let's face it, you try and make you make a decision when you're a foster carer and somebody goes, oh, that wasn't a good decision. And I always want to say it probably wasn't a good decision, but it was probably the least bad. And sometimes that's as good as you can do. Yeah. 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 Fair point. Scott. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking we didn't do our introduction. I had things to talk about in the introduction, but we should say yeah. that for the end, maybe an introduction. Yeah, we'll do an introduction. Yeah. We'll do an introduction. 
Um, uh, well, it's, it's interesting because you can tell that Phil has never listened to this podcast because he would know that we'd sat on panels and that we'd done it both ways yeah. and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, uh, but, I'm, assuming but you, one... I'm assuming your listeners haven't, but I don't know. <laughs> We have, uh, we have committed listeners. Uh, oh. but, but there's two things I picked up from we that. Have listeners is, committed. Yeah, committed. <laughs> yeah. Um, listen, we've got a listener in Hong Kong, so don't diss our listeners. Um, anyway, um, I was going to say, actually, my experience of fostering, and I can say this because I don't foster anymore, was that actually our fostering social worker is a patronising cow. But... <laughs> yeah, um, Just I say what you really think, Scott. <laughs> no, no, no. no, no. Don't live in the UK anymore. Don't get paid by the UK, so I can say what I like. Um, but I did. I did find it very a, a very patronising experience. But I think that something you said earlier really struck me. That um, you know, it's interesting how many people who've adopted go to, go into fostering, but also the other way around as well, fostering into adoption. And I think that actually, when you do that, you 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 do it because you're obviously passionate about children. And looking after them and making sure that you know they they can um, live their best lives and all that sort of stuff. But actually, the experiences are very different. You know, fostering yeah. and adoption completely different. Yeah. As in, as a as a foster care or an adoptive parent. So that was the first thing. Um, and then, um, you know, the support that you get as a foster carer. You know, I mean, God, blimey. When I think back, you know, I I do wonder why I did it. Not being funny because if I'd known how. I was going to feel doing it, you know, that day when we got the unannounced visit, we only had one. That was enough for me just to say, actually, do you know what? If you're going to stick your foot in my door, that's what I'm saying by, you know, our social worker, I felt was quite mm. patronizing. If you're going to stick your foot in, your, in our door because you think we're not going to let you in, you know, I've nothing to hide. Of course I've not. Did she stick her foot in your door? Yeah, she literally did. So, no, you know, yeah. I, no. I could, honestly, yeah, honestly. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I, I had a word with the manager because obviously I got on better with the manager than I did with the social worker. So that that says, you know, that's that that says quite a bit. And then I've forgotten my train of thought with my other thoughts there. So did you really stick of, a foot in your door? Yeah, she. I'm really so, I can't get over that. If, honestly, I would kill a social worker. If the, well, I wouldn't yeah. literally kill a social worker, but I wouldn't and, let one. I would have one but of there my is, staff. But there is that kind of you know killed. that um, hierarchy of all this, doesn't yeah. it? You know that that was the other thing I was going to say. Actually, sitting on a panel as a parent, so I've sat on foster panels, adoption panels, um, permanence panels for kinship and special mm. guardians, and that hierarchy. And I always remember one review I had with a particular agency. I won't mention their name just in case they ever want me back. Um, <laughs> but um, I I remember my annual review, and they said, "Is there anything that we can improve on?" And I said, "Well." There is actually, and it's not because anybody specifically is doing anything, but I always feel like I'm bottom of the pile when it comes to mm. the discussion, the questioning, all that sort of stuff, because yeah. I'm bringing my experience as a parent, as, as a foster carer, as somebody who's, you know, long-term doctor, blah, blah, all that sort of stuff. But I always felt that when I was making points or want to ask questions that were kind of minimized by the the people with the qualifications in the field that we were discussing with yeah. adoption and fostering and stuff so i think that's a really important thing and i i love that you know um somebody who we've had on podcast um i can't remember her name sorry um she <laughs> runs that organization <laughs> for panels for for sort of panels and stuff and i think that's really needed it's, it's almost like yeah it's almost like a a little kind of um uh what's it called um for for panels um what's it called when you join a thing i'm thinking of the a facebook railway. group no i'm thinking of the railway when they have a 
a union. That's it. A, si- a sign signing. Line. Yeah. Signing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is what a brain injury does to you. Guess, you just guess what's things. in Scott's head. All right. Yes, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Not very yeah. much. I can assure you. <laughs> um, but it's almost like having an agency for panel members because I think that's really needed because. There is a hierarchy with these things, whether we like to think or not. And I'm sure that, you know, anybody who's listening who's on an adoption panel, just take a step back your next panel and just think about the hierarchy of it and how the pe- how the people might feel, whether it's an adopted person, it might mm. be an adopted parent, could be, you know, a foster carer. If you're, you know, just think about that hierarchy. I'm, I'm kind of thinking foster carers wouldn't really give two hoots about that sort of stuff. But, and what I mean um, by that is because... Bullshit, fighty, the words that we've already used. Well, uh, or is it? I don't know. You've, you've got you more this. you've got more emotional involvement as an adopter, I think, going, haven't you? I think when you foster, you want to foster, and it's beautiful, it's a wonderful feeling when you get the approval from a panel. But if if you try and foster and you're told, which happens quite often again, doesn't matter how acute the need for foster care is, carers is. The standard is the standard. And if you do get knocked back and they go, look, it might be something like your police check or it might be your property isn't suitable or it might be you just don't understand this. Your emotional intelligence isn't great enough. It's it's pretty grim, but you can yeah. get over that. I think if you try and adopt and you really want that child that you've never met and you're told by professionals you're not good enough, that the emotional investment is far greater isn't it and because we all know that some people just have children they have children that you know naturally and you're thinking how did they get to do that and i can't prove that i'm good enough to adopt it's um you're very much putting your emotions on the line um and and like you say scott i couldn't agree more that people confuse fostering and adoption a lot and although you end up with a child with whom you have no DNA link, actually the motivations are totally different. And with fostering, there is, by its definition, it's time limited, isn't it? That one day this child will not be yours if they're in foster care. They will age out, what a horrible phrase. Uh, adoption is a, is, a, is a different phrase, which is why SGO is such a funny sitting in the middle yeah. term to bring that all the way back to do, you know, you get counsel saying, oh, do you want to have an SGO with your grandson? Or you? And you're thinking, well, most people don't know what that means. They've, no, they've never, when I go into schools and talk about fostering and adoption, I go, do you, does anybody know what an SGO is? And hardly anybody does. Mm. And I don't think you'll get many kids going, oh, yeah, I'm on an SGO. They might say they're adopted. They might yeah. say, oh, I live with a foster family. They might do, probably wouldn't want to. But I've only ever had one kid in of the thousands I've talked about, oh, yeah, I'm on an SGO. And I'm like, oh, really? But they didn't know what SGO stood for. Um, <laughs> that sounds so, a lot, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, one of the things I've observed, um, so I, 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 you know, I, I'm a registered manager for an IFA, is that um, we often, that look well, I'll rewind a bit. So I've got a friend who um, works in recruitment for a local authority, and um, he talks about one of his frustrations is he sort of does a role like you that he's he gets mm. people through the front door, and mm. then he sort of then passes them over to um, the assessment team, and he gets kind of frustrated that actually there's a the the with the the range of people we need for fostering is 
it's got it's got to reflect the nature and needs of the children that we are so in mm. terms of ethnicity gender mm. sexuality but not that you know not that you need same sex couples but you need just society everyone yeah yeah uh, yeah regardless of anything but just different types of people all kinds of you know flavors of people um but then he talks about the the challenges that some the local authorities or uh, uh, the one he works for is really kind of straight lines you've got to be a straight line person and so so if someone's had maybe 20 years previously a criminal record they've gone not not going to happen and do you think there's an element of that that people are that's holding people back people going oh well i you know that i was like this 20 years ago yeah Yeah, looking for thinking they have to be perfect yeah i I think that's true i think there is a people people uh, exclude themselves and i think sometimes they hear of they think social workers could be very risk averse and so would say no. And it's really interesting, is it? Because the, the famous form F, and I always say it's not a form, it's a book, isn't it? A form is a piece of paper. This oh, yeah. is 90, 100 pages of who you are and, and why. And and I usually explain to people, look, it, all the questions are totally reasonable. It's just a bit of a shock when they want to know what you were like <laughs> when you were a child. And I think probably as a it's, it's a funny it's a funny one this because our assessing social worker who is retired now and we got on with her but after i don't know if you, you know when i went to the skills to foster training the three days we had for some reason somebody said to everybody phil's the teacher and i am loud um you know i don't know social workers often say to me have you got any diagnoses and if not why not and i'm going it's because i'm <laughs> It's because I'm, it's because I'm, I'm fifty three, and 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 diagnoses weren't invented when I was a kid. You were just you were just hit a bit, told to shut up. <laughs> um, right, whereas now I've been on medication, um, and it it was interesting because the social workers described me as being um, raw. I think it, I think she said you're very male, and I remember going, and my wife kicking me under the table, going. Let it go, let it go. Because as a woman, I get that all the time. So it's about time you put up with it. But I did think it was like, like you said there, Scott. There's a sort of this idea of perfect, and you know, a criminal record. Well, it depends what you've done. You know, I, I remember thinking, am I a bit too loud? Am I a bit too white? Am I too heterosexual? We're quite a religious family, so is that going to be held against us? I, I don't know what I think about some things. Is yeah. that okay? Should, do I have to have a strong opinion on every ethical issue? Because, quite frankly, I my legitimate answer to many questions is I, I don't know. I don't know what I think about that, but I'm pretty sure I can look after a kid. Um, isn't isn't that what it's about? And I I think I think um, probably well, I don't know. This is maybe I'd have to think of this as a generalization. It, it certainly is, but I mean, assessing social workers, there's far more women doing it than men. And I wonder whether if you are a man, whether you're gay, straight, it doesn't that matters. You go, I, I, I am being asked lots of questions by a female. I feel less comfortable talking about it. I don't know. I think if you are, you probably need to get over it. But it's possibly a, it's possibly a barrier. Um, and I think one thing we definitely try and do in Liverpool, and I think we do it very, very well, is go look at all these different people who foster and I love the fact that when I hang around with other foster carers, people have no idea. Why do you know each other? And one of my favourite yeah. friends is she's um she's five foot and she's from Somalia and she wears uh not not a full veil but a headscarf and I'm thinking when we hang around together people are looking going why is there a big tall gobbly white man with that nice lady 
<laughs> and it's like we we we're totally different religions. We would never have crossed paths, except for the fact that we both look after children with whom we have no DNA link. And I think that's a wonderful thing. The the kind of what is the word fraternity? You know, that's the wrong word. That's male. What is the the kind of the great mishpocha? That's a great Yiddish word. The mishpocha. <laughs> chucking it all in today, kids. The mishpocha <laughs> of foster carers and how we just as you said, how we need to represent every aspect of society. Um, perhaps class as well, educated to yeah. university degree and not and gay straight because we go you could be black or white or gay or straight and I'm going can you be posh? That's a good one. Maybe I'll do that tomorrow. You can be posh and foster. Uh, if people follow you on the on on the internet, they'll see that every day you've got you there's photographs of you with the rich and famous of the world and you persuading them to persuade people if, to foster. If in if in doubt, you say I mean I'm as uh, as you have gathered, I'm quite an extrovert. So I'm always looking for what's an moderately amusing but telling post. So yesterday a team called Liverpool beat a team called Chelsea. And Liverpool was famously full of kids. And so my line was always these 18 year olds have only got to wait three years till they can apply to foster should their football careers fall 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 apart and they don't want to earn half a million quid a month for kicking a ball around, they too could they could too, they could start fostering for Liverpool City Council at a level one entry salary of about a pound. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, if they've got the skills, why not? Well, yeah. well, Absolutely. there is a, uh, Mark Wright who used to play for Liverpool. He was a foster carer, so there is a precedent. And there's a few kids, a few kids. There's a few professional footballers that have been in care. So, um, yeah, yeah, there's a tiny precedent well, for it. I mean, you, you just made me think there about some of the kind of. I don't want to use the word celebrities, but people who who are well known, shall we say, yeah, you know, who've said, "Oh, I'm going to adopt or I'm going to foster," and, and you think, well, that's fair, yeah, as long as you aren't, you know, as long as there's no kind of um, what's it called um, in terms Self-promotion. of promotion. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah because you know, what, why are you doing it? If, if you're good yeah. at yeah. if you if if you can be a good foster care, good doctor parent, then fine, absolutely perfect, yeah. no problems with that. There's there's a particular late, I was going to say lady, there's a particular particular um, person who's well known, who's a female, who mentioned about adopting one day, and I was thinking, by holy God, I hope not, because. You know, the the kind of public persona of her wouldn't be the perfect parent, and however. On the other side of that, maybe it would be because of some of the stuff that that person has been through and some of the stuff that she's been through yeah. as a kid. Mm-hmm. So you don't know. But it's about, I guess it's about, you know, the, the you know, I, I never felt that I got any priority because I was a same-sex couple in 2006 when, you know, mm-hmm. just been made legal. Mm-hmm. Nobody, was, nobody was going, oh, yeah, we'll just shove them through. You know, if anything, it took bloody longer. So, you know, yes. that, and I think that that's, that's kind of my only concern about stuff like that is that nobody is treated with any priority or any kind of preference yeah. for their celebrity status it's, should we say you know the standard is the standard you know absolutely yeah absolutely yeah yeah, yeah for sure yeah. and if they if they don't go into it seeing that for what it is then they don't they shouldn't be doing it it's that simple yeah. you know yeah yeah and um, i'm conscious that we've used up our hour and we need to do our outro but i am um, so w- i feel hang around and maybe you have got insight and wisdom into the one item that is on the agenda for the uh, <laughs> intro <laughs> Um, but also, I've, we do have some a little bit of them. Um, you can give us a mark, maybe, as we give you some final words. But my outro is this, Scott. Scott, I am about to. I am about to plow into uncharted territory. Can't wait! I'm so excited <clears> for this. 
So, so excited. Um, so excited. Film, Matt, the good Mrs. Coates, uh, she has uh, taken it upon herself to leave me um, for 24 days and she's going to Australia and leaving me Ooh. in charge of the Coates Massive. <laughs> um, you don't even know me and you're laughing. Um, and... So I walk in the night and what I've been doing, I've been pretending that it's all fine because I thought the last thing she wants to do is worry. And I've just been going, it's fine, it's fine. But it dawned on me, I've been in total denial until about two hours ago because she's going tomorrow. And I realized that I've never in my adult life bought toilet paper. (laughs) What? Just never done it. I don't know how to start. I don't know. I mean, I'm, I've what, been down an aisle. did you think it just appeared? Did you think it was just like something that <laughs> came in the house? I don't home? know. I don't, where do I go for toilet paper? <laughs> I don't know. And, and what make toilet paper? Because you need to know the make. If you don't know the, and, the brand. Uh, and ply? How many ply does one get? Well, I mean, not so much the ply, just the brand, I would say. The, the ply is right. less important. The brand is important, Al. Yeah. Excellent, excellent, excellent. I mean, it's so, not yeah. like you're not going to be incommunicado is it i mean you will be for 24 hours while she's traveling well there but... is an element that I, I have told you about the time she got on the train to london and um yes and ended up somewhere else yeah i, I, I so she was and that's to london yeah australia's further i'm sure <laughs> well so she was it was i just started work and i was working in london she was going to come down and we just uh she, my youngest daughter had just moved I into remember it. Two. <laughs> and um so she <laughs> Right, so uh, like the time I was in London and I was like, right, she's on the train now. And then I got a phone call about an hour and a half later going, Al, I've just come to the station and it says Edinburgh. <laughs> and she'd got on. <laughs> and she'd oh, got that's on a bad error. Yeah. That is a literally, a, that's a 180 yeah. degrees wrong. Yeah. Um, and so she literally, had, so what was going to be a three-hour journey turned into a nine-hour journey because she then had to throw herself on the mercy yeah. of the guard in Edinburgh. And so, yeah. So I, I am literally going to deliver, uh, if I can, I'm going to get her onto an airplane and clink, clink, click the seatbelt in yeah. and say, this is the right airplane. Don't get off until it's sunny, basically. Yeah. Bless it. Yeah, so I mean, who knows how that will go. very well saying that, but I'm assuming that she's not going to be on the one plane. She's going to have to transfer. Do you know what? I've kind of, I've taken a, a great step of faith. You're not worried about that. I'm not like, worried. Once, she's, once she goes through security, she's the responsibility of the airline. I've told, her, I've told the kids it's steak and chips every night for tea. And oh. um, every night um, we're going to be living the dream. You're blow on the, the house diet for three weeks then. Yeah, blow the housekeeping the first three days. It's all going to be good. So that's, that's what's going to happen. I might do a war diary. I might do a day one in the coat's house yeah. uh, video log yeah day one yeah. Uh, it'll oh, be shit. like lord of the flies by about friday i reckon what the lord will be dead flies no they'll be no they'll be they'll have set up a they'll have formed a yeah pe- an people's independent army. people's republic and you'll be overthrown yeah <laughs> it's just as well you don't foster anymore al isn't yeah it? <laughs> it's, it's i mean my head will be on a spike and they'll be like dancing yeah. naked in the garden over my dead yeah. body yeah, I'm no, so like it. I wish I, was, I wish I'd planned a visit because I think that would have been a hilarious <laughs> thing to see. We, I mean, I, I am literally going to be, I'm not going to be contacting you for the next three weeks. So any contact that we have over the not? next three weeks will be you contacting me because I'm just not going to annoy you. Bear in mind, I know what it's like. When, you know, I, I mean, I cope. I cope very well when the other half is not here. But I just have this vision of you you know, being, it'll be like, you will have cabin fever by Friday, I think. Well, uh, yeah. I'm not going to, I'm not going to add to that. 
I'm just not going to be responsible for no, any it... of the outcomes. Of... But just watch the socials. Watch, keep watch the skies. Watch the socials. And the, the good Mrs. Watson has she ever left you in charge? Yeah, yeah. It's not gone well. Not gone well. <laughs> I, I've been too busy making videos and social media content, and it's like there was one occasion when I made a video a while ago. And she came up and went, oh, we've made a video. And she went, that's wonderful. Why were our children wearing pyjamas for the entire week I was away? Because I'd let them dress themselves. And I was like, oh, they were dressed. I don't see the problem. But uh, yeah, not, yeah, I'm not very good on supervised. It's fairly obvious. Yeah, but my, do- my daughter's always been in charge ever since she was about four. So that's worked very well. You need a... A mature child. <laughs> yeah, no, at four, she she could outthink me, so that worked very well. <laughs> when, oh when my daughter was, th- when Rosa was three, I, I had to go and buy some, a shirt or something and some clothes, and I, I had to take her with her to chaperone me at three to pick yes. clothes. And, oh, yeah, um, yeah. and I said, uh, she, I said, can I wear this and this? And I held up two items of clothing. She went, and she like, looked like I was needing it. I went, no. And I was going, but why, but why not? And she was going, she was going because the, the, that there doesn't match with that there. And I was going, mm-hmm. how do you know this? No, yeah. How, how where, where does it come from? And she went, how do you not know this? Yeah. And so but just, to be fair, yeah. to be fair, Al, you number one, you are colorblind, and yeah, number two, true. you buy your socks from Screwfix. So, I mean, you know, me and Paula have had the good Mrs. C. That is, we've had many conversations about your fashion yeah. friends. Or now sorry. The- Lack of Lack. fashion sense. Al, I didn't know this because I'm colorblind too. Excellent. And so and so my wife's family are colorblind and my family are colorblind. So the only male in our family, and this isn't why we adopted him, the only male who's not colorblind <laughs> is our adopted son. And he's got this superpower. He's like, what color is that? And he goes, blue. Huh? How does he know? It's amazing. He's in league like, with the devil. He's in, he's, how did he learn how to do his colors? Incredible. He's got a lot of other skills, but that's his main one. He can tell me I look ridiculous. In fact, he sometimes he did one say to me, goes, you're not to tell people we're related if you're going to dress like that. I'm just going to go and tell everybody I'm adopted straight away because you are so embarrassing. And I thought, yeah, yeah, okay, fair enough. Mm -hmm. I don't know what, yeah. Interesting. Yes. <laughs> that, that's a that's a very good point to start end on. Start end end on. End uh, Phil, yeah. Phil, Scott and I have been preparing. Uh, no, we haven't. And, well, <laughs> I regret putting that in the chat. Though. I have no idea. <laughs> uh, danke, Phil. Es yeah. mir ein Freude, dich der Show zu haben. You've you've been re- you were reading that from somewhere. <laughs> of course, I was. Es war mir es war mir eine Freude, dich dich auf dem Show zu haben. Ja. Es war mir auch eine Freude. Es hat mir ganz ja. gut gefallen. Ja, doch. Ja. ja, ich bin ein Berliner. Ja, oh, very good. <laughs> You're a donut. Well done. Yeah, I am a donut. Thank you. Scott, come on. Well, just, just, no, just for the, I did, I did put something in French. However, I've deleted it now because, and I'll tell you this very brief story before we go. My, my message said, um, it's been a pleasure chatting to you, Phil. Didn't know much about you. Feel like I load, know loads about you now. And I'm now going to unmute you from Twitter. That's what my French said. But, um, <laughs> But can I just tell you a quick story? So, so are you saying you're not going to unmute him? <laughs> no, I am going to unmute him. Um, however, we um, so my husband speaks a fluent Spanish 
Ooh. And when we met, I was like, yes, I speak French and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, we went on holiday and we did um, Spain to France. So, and when we got to France, he's like, we need to eat. Come on then. You, you know, <laughs> and I was like, you can bugger off because I've not got the confidence to say it in public. I can I can write it and I can say it in my head and blah, blah. Um, and so we went into the boulangerie um, and uh, we, I was asked to ask for these sandwiches and I asked for them in English. <laughs> even though I was, uh, even though at that point I was probably quite confident speaking in French, but I just couldn't do it. So yeah, uh, miss we, miss we, miss we, miss we. am I allowed an an outro anecdote of um, our little Please man? Do. As long he, as it's only ninety seconds. Yeah, he, he he used to call me Bill because he couldn't say Phil. Occasionally he calls me Dad, and then he started to call me Phil. And then we took him on holiday to France, and he worked out that in France I'm called Philippe. So on this holiday of two weeks in France, he kept calling me Philippe. We then came back to England. And then for the next 12 months, if we ever had anything like a croissant or a pain au chocolat, he reverted back to calling me Philippe. Oh, really? And, oh. and it was like, how, how cute is that? Oh, yeah. very cute. Bless him. Yeah. 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 Ah, yeah. Listen, yeah. I've got an initiative. Oh, it's all coming out now. It is love, isn't it? The, the, yeah. the man who said he oh, don't understand that. Um, but it's, um, I, I would say that's quite a compliment considering some of the names that our children call. So, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I'd say that's, 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 it's a, win. that's a win. That's a win. That's a win. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Take it. Take it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'll, we'll get you a, a French slang dictionary. Um, Phil, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Total, ca- yeah. total chaos. Thank it's you. like herding sheep. Um, cat, cat, I think it's, it's, it's herding cats you keep wanting to say sheep are meant to be herded yes exactly <laughs> it's true I'm under a lot of pressure I am under yeah yeah okay <laughs> well it's been an absolute pleasure uh, Scott as always the pleasure was all yours um, <laughs> and on that note bon enjoy your next three weeks Al yeah thank you thank you yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. bye 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 <laughs>